Amen. What a powerful story of God's faithfulness. So welcome to uh, all of you. Um, Greetings to our West Campus and uh, our Traditions venue. Glad that all of you are are here. Um, We're excited about what God wants to do and and what he is doing in our lives. So a couple of weeks ago, I was, uh, it was Thursday morning, I was in my office cranking it out, man. I was diligently working on a sermon. I was getting things done. I was feeling good about life. And all of a sudden my computer went dark, except for these dots that were going in a circle. And if you have Windows 10, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They were going around in a circle and, and, uh, and the screen said, I kid you not, the screen said, updating, this could take several minutes do not shut off your computer. And then there was this percentage given. Maybe you've seen this percentage given. I was at 1% and was not moving to 2% anytime soon. I was so frustrated and angry. You know, I was longing for my MacBook. I was cursing Windows. I couldn't believe that the default option on this new computer, it's pretty new computer, the default option on this computer was a 9 a.m. during the workday update time. I could not believe anyone would set it up that way. So, so I was so, so frustrated um, that I couldn't stop it. You know, in fact, it kind of implies that if you do try to stop it, um, not only will your computer, bad things happen to your computer, but maybe your family line will be cursed. I don't know. It was something like that. But so I was just totally stuck. I was totally stuck. It took an hour and a half for this update to happen, which gave me plenty of time to call our IT company, ask them to change our automatic update time to 3 a.m. in the morning. Um, But that didn't really help me in that particular moment. Once the update, you know, once this update started, my destiny for at least the next hour and a half was out of my hands. The Bible talks about a moment like that, but, but far more substantial, a moment where in the midst of our daily routine, everything changes and we are no longer in control of our future destiny. And that moment is the second coming of Jesus. We read about this particular moment in Luke chapter 21. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, feel free to turn to Luke 21. We are continuing our journey through the book of Luke. And we come to this passage where Jesus goes into significant detail about the events that lead up to his second coming. And uh, by the way, we're finishing the book of Luke We're finishing this series next weekend. Um, And then we're going to be starting a summer series that I'm really excited about where we're looking, we're going to be looking into some of the Psalms and talking about how we can experience God in the midst of everyday emotions, everyday life, like fear and discouragement and anger and stress. So that's going to start on Father's Day weekend. Can't wait for that. Okay, so back to Luke 21, where Jesus talks about the events and the signs that are going to happen before his return. Now, I got to be honest with you, preparing this message was kind of hard for me. And and I was trying to figure out why am I struggling with this? And I figured out the reason. It's because we live in a culture where everything is about the now, about what's next. And by next, we mean the next hour or the next day, you know, not years, not decades. And so this idea of Jesus' return is not something that for most of us really grabs our attention or it occupies our thinking. It feels so far out there. You know, what's the use of thinking about it much? And and that's a really good question. And it's why this passage, 
passage that we're looking at today is so important for us to look at because in this passage, Jesus shows us why we should care about his second coming, even when it seems to be delayed for such a long time. And what Jesus reveals is that when we don't care about his second coming or the events that lead up to the second coming, when we don't care about that, we make ourselves vulnerable to things like deception and fear and stress. Because as we're going to see, the events leading up to Jesus' return involved things that kind of freak people out. You know, things like earthquakes and wars and, and asteroid collisions or whatever, right? Things in the heavens. So without Jesus' perspective, these occurrences feel overwhelming and stressful and anxiety-producing. So we need this passage. We need this. So let's jump in this passage, verse 5 of Luke 21. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they ask, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? Okay, so this topic comes up as the disciples are looking at the temple. And it was a glorious, it was a beautiful structure. And they were commenting on how beautiful it is. It was. And Jesus tells them that a day is coming when this temple will be destroyed. And he was absolutely right. The temple was destroyed, just as he said, about 40 years later, when the armies of Rome besieged the city and they destroyed the temple. In fact, Jesus describes this specific event a bit later in this passage, if you jump down to verse 20. <clears throat> when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is here. Notice he's talking about localized. This is about Jerusalem. This part is about Jerusalem. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out and let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment in fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So about 40 years after Jesus spoke these words, this stuff all happened, just as Jesus said. It was a horribly violent event in which Rome surrounded the city. They besieged the city. Thousands of people died from violence, from starvation. Many Christians were actually spared by fleeing the city, just as Jesus had warned. But here's what we need to understand. In answering the disciples' question, that Jesus not only talks about the destruction of Jerusalem, this localized event, he also he spends most of the time in the passages we're going to see talking about a global, talking about global events, events that point to his second coming. So why does Jesus blend these two events? The destruction of Jerusalem happened in the 70 AD and then his second coming. Why does he blend these? <clears throat> I think it's because from Jesus' perspective, the period of the last days which is a period characterized by difficulty and persecution. That period begins when he ascends into heaven after his resurrection. So it's already begun and it ends with his second coming. And it certainly includes the fall of Jerusalem, but it also includes much more than that, which means that we are right now in the last days, biblically speaking. We are in this fairly long time period between Jesus' first coming 
and his second coming. So we need to be attentive to the warning signs that indicate that his coming is near. So what are we to do when it seems like the world is falling apart? When all hell breaks loose, what are we supposed to do? Well, there are three things that Jesus urges us not to do. And one thing that he urges us to do in the midst of the chaos of these end time events. Okay, three things not to do. Let's look at these three first. First warning, Jesus urges us to not be deceived. Verse 8, he replies, watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name claiming I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. Okay, one of the characteristics of the season of the last days, according to Jesus, is going to be deception. Jesus specifically mentions people coming in his name and claiming to be him. We are not to be deceived by that. Now, that was happening quite a bit back in those days, um, false messiahs, but it really doesn't happen much today. However, there is another kind of deception that is very much happening today and is an indicator of the last days. We, we see this described in 2 Timothy chapter 3, which is the letter that Paul wrote to Timothy before Paul's death. And in it, the Apostle Paul talks about the last days. And listen to this description and see if it sounds at all like our society today. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Then a few verses later he says, evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. See, this is us, right? This is our society in so many ways. These are things that we struggle with, right? Self-centeredness, a lack of love, ungrateful, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure. Paul points out that all these things are ultimately rooted in deception. We are being deceived by and seduced by the worldly values around us. And often we don't even notice that it's happening. That's why it's deception. We don't know it's happening. Jesus says that this kind of deception will be a characteristic of the last days. People will become more, will become more self-absorbed and less God-absorbed. According to Jesus, this will happen before any dramatic signs occur. This is an indicator that we are in the last days because deception is rampant and all of us are vulnerable to it. Okay, second warning, Jesus says. Jesus urges us to not be afraid to not be afraid. Multiple times in this passage, as we're going to see, Jesus talks about fear. He talks about anxiety. According to Jesus, the last days will be characterized by fear, which is one of the characteristics of our society today, right? Anxiety is rampant. More and more people are feeling anxious about the state of the world and all that's happening around us. And Jesus addresses this reality. He acknowledges the fact that in the last days, fear is going to be an issue. Jesus says in verse 9, when you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise up against nation. 
and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. So he is describing a world in chaos, wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famine and diseases, <clears throat> violence, volcanoes, all that stuff. And, and folks, this is our world right now. There are lots of things to be afraid of, right? There are. There are lots of things to be afraid of. And what makes it worse, honestly, what makes it worse is that because of the internet, we have a constant immediate and visual access to most every tragedy that happens in the world. I mean, no wonder we battle anxiety. No wonder the situation in the world feels overwhelming. It's because we have a constant front row seat into every terrorist attack and every plane crash and natural disasters and famines and diseases. Every day we see this stuff. We're the only, we're the only generation that's ever had this kind of access. And the emotional weight of that it's huge, right? We carry the weight of the global um, current events like no generation before us. So that, that, that's one aspect of this fear thing. But it's not just these cataclysmic events that will cause anxiety. In the last days, Jesus mentions another cause. Look at verse 12. But before all this, there will, that they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison, and you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. Okay, so Jesus is describing some intense persecution that will come upon his followers. Now, in the Western world, you know, we tend to skip over these passages, especially in America. We tend to skip over these passages saying this doesn't really apply to us. And so then we have some of these end time experts, you know, who say that this only applies to the Jews who are going to who miss the rapture. But this text doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. This book of Luke is written to Gentiles. It's not written to Jews. It's written to Gentiles. Jesus has already mentioned in Luke 12 that his followers will be persecuted. If you do a Google search or any kind of research on this, you will discover that more Christians are being persecuted right now than ever before in history. Right now. I mean, not surprisingly, North Korea is like the worst offender. Christians being bulldozed, starved, put in concentration camps. This is today. This is, this is recent news. This is happening today. Hundreds and thousands of followers of Jesus are being persecuted today. See, they are experiencing intense tribulation for their faith. So it will not do, it will not do for us to just skip over this as some distant future possibility for America. This is reality for thousands and thousands of our brothers and sisters in Christ right now around the globe. Now, I'm incredibly grateful for the freedoms we enjoy, but I'm also very mindful that those freedoms can be taken away and we might find ourselves in a similar position one day. But again, notice Jesus' words, verse 14, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand. This word translated mind, if you look it up, it's actually the word heart. Jesus is saying, settle this issue in your heart right now. 
Settle this issue in your heart right now, that even if you are dragged before the authorities and betrayed by family and thrown in prison, you don't need to worry. You don't need to worry. Jesus will be with you. He will give you the words to say. He will give you the strength to endure. And if we are killed for our faith, he promises us a life beyond the grave. No one can steal that from us. See, Jesus urges us to let these truths settle into our heart so that no matter what happens, we can be at peace. Okay, so that brings us to verses 20 to 24, the fall of Jerusalem, which we already looked at a moment ago. So after verse 24, Jesus then begins describing more global events that can provoke us or uh, provoke us to fear. Verse 25, there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, notice he's talking now about globally. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Again, so notice again in this description, things are intensifying. This is no longer just talking about Jerusalem. This is talking about global events. And, 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 and the, the nature of these events is, test, is, 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 is uh, intensifying, right? So before it was about rumors of wars and famines. Now there are signs in the heavens, and there are weird things happening in the oceans, and people are going to be freaking out. They're going to be terrified about what is coming upon the world. So when everything reaches this terrifying, chaotic upheaval, then Jesus will come. Verse 27, at that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. See, this is the second coming. After God's people have endured all this persecution and difficulty that, that Luke has described, after there have been signs of wars and earthquakes and upheaval in the heavens, then Jesus will come in dramatic fashion. And notice how he will come. He says, with power and great glory. In his first coming, Jesus came to earth humbly as a baby vulnerable. He died on a cross as a common criminal, right? In order to pave the way for us to experience forgiveness and life with God and to begin to unleash this revolution of his kingdom on earth through his Holy Spirit's presence in us, the church. That's what he started when he came the first time. But when he comes a second time, he will be bringing his kingdom in full. He will be punishing and judging evil and injustice and oppression. He will be restoring the world to what God had initially created. So just a side note here, relevant though, if, if you think of heaven as being harps and singing songs for millions of years or whatever, I would urge you to relook at scripture in light of this glorious kingdom that Jesus will be bringing in full. He is bringing restoration. He will bring restoration in full. I mean, do, do you ever look at the injustices uh, that are happening all around us right now? You know, like with sex trafficking and child abuse, all these horrible injustices. You ever look at that and you just long for justice to be done? Well, that's what's going to happen. That's what's going to be happening at the second coming. So no wonder scripture urges us to long for that day. No wonder scripture urges us to be ready for that day. 
Jumping down to verse 29, he told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. See, Jesus couldn't be any stronger in his use of words here. All of these signs he describes, that he's been describing, all of them point to the fact that he is coming back. He said it over and over again, and his words never fail. They never pass away. His return is certain. Now, what does he mean when he says this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Well, the, this generation most likely refers to whatever generation is alive when these dramatic signs start happening in the stars and the oceans. That generation will not pass away before all these things happen. So the people who are alive when these wild things start happening, they, they need to be ready and realize his coming is very near. But not everyone, not everyone is going to have this perspective in the midst of wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and signs in heaven. Not everyone's going to have this perspective, which leads to the third warning that Jesus gives. Look at what he says in verse 34. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. So in these verses, Jesus, or this is the third warning, Jesus urges us to not let addictions, addictions take hold. Now, I'm sure you're wondering, where is addiction in this passage? Come on. Now, as I was studying this passage, I got focused on this word dissipation because I, I've never heard anyone use that word, dissipation. And I thought, what is that? And, and, and so I, I know what dissipate means, right? It means to disappear. If a cloud dissipates, it disappears. In physics, you know, if something dissipates, it means it loses energy. Now, in the Greek, if you look up this word in the Greek, the word literally means hangover. Seriously, it means a hangover. It's describing what someone experiences after they have had too much to drink. So when you put all of this together, you realize that Jesus is describing this tendency we have when battling fear and anxiety about any number of things, this tendency we have to look for ways to numb the pain. This tendency we have to look for ways to escape from the anxiety we feel, ways that will make our anxiety dissipate, get high, get wasted, get whatever, right? anything to make us feel better temporarily. But when we turn to these things for life, guess what actually dissipates? Not our fear. Our fear doesn't dissipate. <laughs> it doesn't. You know what dissipates? We do our own well-being. See, Jesus describes this as us being weighed down. You can look at it for yourself. Us being burdened, us being weighed down. 
See, these things don't bring life. They actually rob us of life. They, they bring us under their power, so we actually become burdened and weighed down. Dissipation, all this stuff, that's what it does to us. They, they actually cause us to miss what life is ultimately about, and that is Jesus, a passionate, engaging relationship with Jesus. Okay, so in the midst of these last days, when we already are, we will continue to see the signs that Jesus describes. Jesus warns us against deception, against fear, and against addiction, all of which are rampant today. And things haven't even ramped up to the point Jesus describes. All these things are already rampant today. Deception, fear, addiction. So what are we supposed to do? If we're, you know, we, how do we make sure we avoid those other three things? And, and, and no matter what's going on in the world around us, and then what are we supposed to do? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 28, and I think this verse summarizes this whole passage and the ultimate response that he wants us to have, no matter what is happening all around us, no matter if we hear of rumors of war or we experience famine or diseases or we are persecuted or we see signs in the stars or weird signs in the oceans, doesn't matter. Here's how Jesus wants us to live. And in doing so, it can keep us from being burdened by deception and fear and addictions. In fact, let's read this out loud together. Verse 28. Here we go. Read this out loud with me. When these things begin to take place, Stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. I love this picture that Jesus gives us here, this response that he's urging us to have. In the midst of all the frightening things happening in our world, Jesus says, this is what I want you to do. Stand up and lift up your head. Stand up. And lift up your head. Both of those phrases are so, they're such powerful images. First, stand up. Stand up. This is not about cowering in fear, folks. <laughs> this is not about trying to escape or numb our pain through some addiction or whatever. This, nor is this about hunkering down until Jesus returns. Or not doing anything to stop sex trafficking or injustice or whatever. We're just kind of holding the fort until Jesus comes back. No, no, no. That is not what this is about. This is about standing up. In scripture, to stand up is this picture of a settled, solid, strong confidence in God. Unshakable, calm confidence in God. So we see in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13, Paul says this, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, really interesting language there, when the day of evil comes, in other words, when things are falling apart, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand, to stand. In 2 Chronicles, I mean, this is throughout Scripture, but another example, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, one of my favorite stories, you know, the people of God are trembling in fear because all these armies are coming against them. This approach, these huge armies are coming against them. And then God sends his prophetic word to one of the guys standing there. All the people are fasting and praying. And God sends a word to one of the guys standing there. And this is the word, stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. 
stand firm. See, this is what God is asking of us, his people, in the midst of whatever chaos our world is experiencing. Stand up. Be strong in me. Don't be afraid. (laughs) Don't freak out when the world seems like it's falling apart. Don't passively keep your head in the sand, you know, when there are needs around you. No, 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 no. Stand up. Be strong in me, God is saying. Be strong in me. Live with this quiet, resolute confidence in my strength and my compassion. See, standing is a posture of engaged faith. It is not a posture of passivity. Standing, stand in the Lord. It's a posture of, of, of engaged faith, alertness and engaged faith. So where does this ability to stand up? Where does it come from? Well, Jesus tells us here, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Jesus says, I want you to lift up your head. Now, this is actually, it's talking about a physical posture, but it's more than that. Lifting up our head is actually a reflection of a heart posture because how we hold our head represents what's going on in our heart. So, for instance, if I have a conversation with someone and the whole conversation I'm doing this, my head is down, my eyes are down, no eye contact, what does that that reflect? I'm ashamed, I'm afraid, I'm not worthy, you know, that kind of thing. When we're not, when we're looking down, that's what's being communicated. And those are all heart issues. My, the, the posture of my head reflects the, the, my heart. The, these are heart issues, issues that we often wrestle with in our relationship with God, right? We don't feel worthy in our relationship with God. We don't feel worthy in our relationship with God. You know, we, we don't feel acceptable by him. We don't feel lovable. We're afraid of punishment. All those things cause us in our relationship with God to do this, to, to lower our head. And so Jesus says to us, his people, I don't want any of that. I don't want any of that. When I come back, and even before I come back, it is not a time for you to drop your head in shame and fear. It is a time for you to look up and see me face to face. See my eyes of love and acceptance towards you. That's what awaits us. That's what the gospel offers us, a face-to-face relationship with Jesus. No shame, no guilt, because he paid for all of that on the cross. You see, this is so important here. What Jesus is describing as our final response to his return is also a description of the posture that he invites us to live in every moment of every day as we await his return. He constantly says to us, lift up your head and gaze upon me. Stand in the strength I've given you no matter what is going on in the world around you. You lift up your head and you stand in me. See, folks, this is how we battle deception. This is how we battle our fears. This is how we battle addiction and and passivity. This is how it's by fixing our gaze upon our Savior, choosing to stand in his strength. Jesus urges us to live this way as we await his return. He is coming back and he will be bringing the fullness of his kingdom and it will be glorious. It will be well worth the wait. But until then, let's lift up our eyes.
and let's stand in him. Amen? <laughs> Amen. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you for the challenge of your word and what is stirring in us right now. This is stirring in us. And so I want to just encourage you. I'm going to lead you in a kind of a couple of responses here in prayer. But one response, I want you just to think about your life right now, how you're living your life in the midst of all the chaos of this world and everything on the internet and shootings and all that stuff. Think about how you're living your life in these difficult days. And let me just ask, you just kind of sit in this, with this question, are there places where deception or fear or addictions are taking hold in your response to what's happening around you? And I'm sure it's true for all of us. And he, I think Jesus just, he just wants to, he wants to do something about it. He wants to speak into that right now. So here, I'm going to, I'm going to, two, two responses here. First of all, there are some of you in here, you've never received Jesus. You, you, you have never opened your heart to receive him. So you've never even, you've never entered into this relationship with him that is at the foundation of all this. And so I just want to invite you right now, if you know what you need is a relationship with Jesus and you've been running from him um, or you've been trying to save yourself or whatever, you've never placed your trust in him, I want to lead you in a prayer where you can do that. You can enter into a relationship with Jesus and what he has done for you on the cross. So let's just, just pray with me in the silence of your heart. Dear God, I acknowledge that you are holy and I'm not. I've gone my own way, I've done my own thing. And I realize that my sin, my rebellion, my self-centeredness, it separates me from you. But I don't want to be separated from you. Even though there's nothing I could do to get to you, you came to me by sending your son, Jesus, to die on the cross in my place. You, Jesus, you died for my sin. You paid the penalty I deserve to pay. And I choose right now to place my trust in you alone. I bring you my doubts and my questions and fears and failures, sin. I just bring it all to you. And in exchange, I receive your life. Forgive me of my sins and come live in me through the presence of your spirit. Change me from the inside out. Walk with me in the midst of all of my struggles. So Lord, I, I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. Help them grow in this amazing relationship with you. Well, now I want to I pray here. I want to just a response time for, for the rest of us here. We know Jesus. We, we've already prayed that prayer years ago maybe or recently, but we know Jesus. We're walking with him. Same question. Where is fear? Where is addiction? Where is deception kind of creeping into our lives? And here's what I think Jesus, and we know what Jesus wants us to do right now. And so I want to encourage you, first of all, lift up your head. You can do that physically or in your heart, but the, just lift up your head with your eyes closed and look to Jesus. He is your life. He is your strength. He loves you. Let him, just look to him and with the eyes of your heart, just see Jesus looking at you with a heart of love.
Just see that. Thank you for your love, God. We don't have to cower in fear. We don't have to have our heads down. We can lift up our head and see you face to face. So help us fix our gaze upon you, this amazing God of love. You've washed away our sin and our shame. We love you. We want to see you. We want to fix our gaze upon you. Second thing he invites us to do is stand up. And so when we do this physically, we're going to do this physically and represent what's going on inside too. So stand up. Go ahead and stand up. Stand to your feet. And this is just symbolic of what is happening in our hearts, the posture of our hearts. Lord, we want to stand no matter what is going on in the world around us, we want to stand in you. We want to stand in your strength. So help us do that, God, to lift up our heads and to stand in you. Give us that strength, that quiet confidence, that engaged faith, Lord, not passivity, just a quiet confidence. You're in control and we're going to be okay. Because of that, we trust you, we love you, Lord. And we worship you. We worship you. So we're going to do that right now. Just in response to this message, we have uh, chosen prayerfully just some songs of worship. And let's engage with all of our being and worship this amazing Lord. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you're coming back and that we don't have to live in fear. We love you. Set us free right now to worship you, God. Thank you, Lord.